Hey everyone, welcome back to the Pandemic Podcast. My name is Clark Cowden and I'm your host for this show. I'm glad that you have joined with me today for this conversation. Uh, Today I am sitting down to talk with Dr. Darren Brucken. Dr. Brucken is the health commissioner for Vigo County here in West Central Indiana. And in that position, he's been on the front lines of what's been going on with the coronavirus pandemic in our community and seeing uh, what's been happening and the trends and where things are going and how far we've come and what we still need to do. And so I had a great time uh, just getting to ask him some questions and asking him to share kind of where things are at. So I hope that you find this conversation uh, interesting and informative, and I invite you to sit back and relax and enjoy my conversation with Dr. Darren Brecken. So uh, welcome, Dr. Brucken. So glad to uh, have you here with us on the podcast for today. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, yeah. Great to have a chance to talk with you. And I wonder just to start off, if you might take a minute, maybe just to say a word about your family or how you came to be in the position that you're in now. Sure. I was I was uh, born, I'm a born Hoosier, born in Evansville, Indiana, I moved up here in the Wabash Valley since I was in middle school, basically, went to high school oh. in Rockville and undergraduate oh. work at Indiana State. And uh, first uh-huh. year of med school was at the Terre Haute campus. And, um, and aside from a few years in Indianapolis doing postgraduate training, I lived here, practiced here. My, my wife is from here. She's a Vermilion County resident originally. Oh, okay. So this, mm-hmm. this has been our home since we were little kids. Yeah. So, um, I started with the Department of Health, I believe, around 2001. Uh, okay. I went to the Board of Health. And I've been with uh-huh. the Department of Health in some capacity since that time. Um, I su- uh, succeeded Dr. Enrico Garcia um, as health commissioner um, about 2013 or so. Okay. Um, and mm-hmm. I've been in that role since that time. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed my time uh, thus far with the with the health department. The folks down there mm-hmm. just do amazing work mm-hmm. every single day. Uh-huh. Oh, that's great. Great. So uh, in your role as the county health commissioner, uh, what have you been seeing medically over these last three months? Uh, We've kind of survived the initial wave uh, of the first month, and then as things have developed, what are you kind of seeing uh, developing here in our area? It's been obviously unprecedented. Uh, Oh, yeah. Just an amazing point in our history, and we're living it right now. Yeah, I think one of the important things for me, what I see is I I have a different lens than most folks because I'm a practicing hospital-based physician. So Uh I see not only the patients in the hospital when they come to the emergency room and they're critically ill or moderately ill and need to be hospitalized, then I'm one of the the team members that takes care of those patients. Okay. So I see that and I live with that every single day and I have since basically the late part of March, essentially. Uh And then the other hat that I wear is with public health. So every day I'm right. on a call with the health department and we're talking about all of our positives each day and our hotspots in the community and our potential hotspots in the community. Uh-huh. 
And then also as a resource to, to business leaders and, and community members that have reached out to be able to say, hey, you know, we're looking for some resource and some guidance here. Right. Um, so that's the other other hat that we collectively wear at the health department. We've been able to, to go through and, and help with that. So, you know, when we first got started, of course, we, we knew just from a medical standpoint, you know, I watched things unfold in China and Asia coming through the yeah. European countries. Right. Uh, with that apprehension <clears throat> that uh, <clears throat> how are we going to how, how is this going to impact not only us locally, but us just as a, as a country? Oh, yeah. And then when the first cases started falling off in Washington state, I said, OK, here we go. Um, mm -hmm. We tried to prep for it, embrace for it, and, and we tried the yeah. best we could to prepare. And, and we've seen an amazing mm -hmm. uh, response, actually. I really feel like locally we've done a nice job uh, helping to mitigate um, the, the wave as it's come through here. Good. And that's, it's been a collaborative effort, not only from healthcare delivery people, but the community in general. Um, as it's morphed, as it's changed, you know, now, of course, mm -hmm. I'm looking at that landscape mm -hmm. and I'm talking to people about how their attitudes are changing. Um, uh -huh. The same things that I think have been a, a blessing up front that really helped us mitigate that response are the same things that we start to talk about as, gosh, we're, we're apprehensive that those things are starting to unravel. Oh. Complacency is beginning to mm -hmm. creep in as the sun is out and people are moving about and the economy is open. Right. Our hope, our, our desire is that complacency doesn't lead to apathy as far right. as social distancing um, and, and what we're yeah. trying to do with with staying masked and staying socially distanced to help keep this in a semi-quarantine state so that this hopefully mm -hmm. the host of this virus can eventually burn itself out to a high enough degree to afford us some uh, some herd immunity as a community. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So if there were <clears throat> a couple of things uh, people in the public could be doing right now to uh, protect themselves, what would you kind of say uh, for people to be doing right now? It's a... Uh... It's a, it's a very mm -hmm. challenging question to answer. The, the simplest answer is yeah. you know, those of mm -hmm. us that are enrolled, involved and enrolled in the daily science of this to, to watch the population numbers, to watch the infectivity, uh, to, uh -huh. to look at the epidemiology, look at the tracing, is to understand that where we are from a community standpoint as far as the percentage of people in this area that have already contracted the disease and have developed some immunity, the best that we can tell Mm -hmm. um, we are not at a point that we can be relaxed about social distancing and allow the spread uh, of this virus to just go through. <clears throat> the right. science behind all of that is, is the concept of herd immunity, which is what has to happen for, for a community to survive any type of an outbreak. Mm -hmm. And simply put, herd immunity is when a high enough percentage of your population has had the disease and conferred immunity or has mm -hmm. received a vaccine and conferred immunity by, by passive means. Um, so um, that normally takes 60 to 80% of a population has to has to get to that number. Okay. Um, and if you look at a community or a population base, say 100 people, and if five of those 100 people have immunity, 95 of those people can still get sick. Mm -hmm. So the herd is a great risk. If 80% or 80 of your 100 people have had the disease and have immunity, then only 20% could potentially fall ill. That won't impact the greater herd that much. Right. Um, and that's, that's the right. simplest concept uh, of herd immunity. Uh, vaccinations have been able to get us there. Um, but 
for other respiratory viruses, things like measles and, and mm -hmm. you know, varicella, you, you, you name it, it's, it's been able to do that, that and the disease itself. Mm -hmm. So right now we're nowhere near that number. You know, it's, right. it might be 6%, it might be 10% um, that have some immunity based on speculative data to some degree of testing. Mm -hmm. So we have to be vigilant that who's out there and realize that although the young, healthy people traditionally do very, very well, minimal mm -hmm. symptoms and, and even no symptoms in some people. Mm. The vulnerable people that are laying in the wings, meaning nursing home patients and our elderly parents and our people with comorbid conditions mm. are extremely high risk for complications, morbidity, and even death from the disease. Mm -hmm. So we have to be vigilant in looking at that sect of the population and say, we've got to do everything we can to help protect these people. Right. And without the herd immunity, without the, the global response and the, and the global um, you know, efforts put forth through here, those folks are going to remain at a very high risk um, for issue, you know, mm -hmm. to, to wind up sick, to wind up in the hospital, to wind up passing away from this. Right. And if there are things that are preventable, death and loss of life are preventable, you know, it's a, it's a shame if we don't do everything that we can to yeah. try to, you know, aid in that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in the news, I've kind of heard some people trying to compare this to the flu. And would would one of the differences be that we kind of have a herd immunity with the flu or some of those other cases that we don't have yet? Yeah, they're, they're different viruses. Um, mm -hmm. Influenza is not nearly as contagious as SARS-2. Oh. Um, and the reason for that, there are proteins on the surface of an influenza virus. <clears throat> we, we call them the H's and the N's. We talk about N1, H1, H9, N2, all of these different things. And they uh -huh. change and they morph every few years. But we've been exposed to those um, those proteins throughout the years. And lots of folks have gotten flu shots throughout the years, obviously. Uh -huh. So we do have some immunity built up, whether that's partial immunity. And that, that's kind of a, a, another topic. Um, hmm. and, and obviously hundreds of thousands of people, you know, millions of people fall ill with influenza virus every year. Yeah. It's not as deadly as SARS. So oh, okay. SARS is more contagious and it has a tendency, I'm talking about SARS-2, mm -hmm. has a tendency to kill more people. SARS-1 actually is even 10 times more deadly than SARS-2. SARS-2, oh. the original SARS-2002 actually killed a higher percentage of people, about 10% of people that contracted it died huh. Oh, wow. Um, and fortunately, that that has fallen off the face of the earth and is not a problem any longer. Oh, good, good, yeah. But yeah, it's 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 not influenza, but the symptoms overlap so dramatically, and that's also one of the big concerns for this fall when influenza comes back this, uh, mm -hmm. this winter time. Right, right. So um, we've seen a, I think, an increase in the number of cases here locally. Um, if somebody um, you know, asked, you know, is this because we're just testing more people that we're seeing more cases? Is Do you think that's the case or, or not so much? Yeah, I, I think the logical response is, yes, testing is a lot more widespread now, so we're going to see some higher numbers. Uh -huh. How much do we really expect to, to explain things from that? It would be one thing if if a thousand new cases popped up and all thousand of those got tested because their employers sent them off to get tested. Mm -hmm. But the very, very high majority of people that are turning up positive are getting tested because they're sick. So they are okay. seeking treatment and testing because they're ill. 
And mm-hmm. when we start to do the contact tracing to look back, so, oh, yeah, they were exposed, they need to get tested. Mm-hmm. They're turning positive due to inhaled contact and sickness themselves. So it's very much uh, a real entity mm-hmm. um, that, that there is a lot of sickness still in society. Yeah, yeah. And if, if somebody said to you the number of cases we have is going to increase no matter what we do, so it doesn't matter what we do, <laughs> uh, what would you say? <laughs> um, you know, that's that's a battle. And again, going back to the to the two main hats that I have to wear, that's that's the yeah. battle that, that I, I deal with internally because, you know, I'd love to get to, to a degree of herd immunity. I'd love to have more yeah. people be exposed and become immune for the betterment of society. Sure. But I also can't stand the thought of, of having people almost bringing about the disease and letting it and then allowing it to, to cascade yeah. over our community because of the older people becoming sick. Mm-hmm. Um, the data points that are out there now looking at long-term care facilities, nursing homes across the state, uh, it hasn't gotten a whole lot of attention just yet. It's starting to mm-hmm. really creep up. But if people start looking at the number of nursing homes that have positive cases and deaths um, based mm-hmm. on how many are available or how many exist in Indiana, the number continues to exponentially climb. Huh. Um, almost half now of Indiana deaths are nursing home based. Oh, really? Yeah, it's, oh, it's wow. a staggering number. Uh, huh. It was 945, I think, of 200 or 2033, so nearly half. Yeah. Um, and when wow. we start looking at that older population, they're cohorted together. Um, they're obviously in a, a mm-hmm. very close uh, environment. We do know that. Yeah. This virus tends to spread throughout households, and they are in one big household. Mm-hmm. There's been some devastating results from that. Yeah. So, yeah, we are going to have more cases. We're prepared for that. We accept that. Um, mm-hmm. But we'd like for those cases to happen gradually and slowly and in this controlled environment as we can yeah. so that people are paying attention to those numbers as they rise. Right. Um, so we, we have to allow it to happen, but we also can't be reckless. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's sure. where, we, where we struggle from a public health standpoint. Right. But I'm also a citizen, you know, I'm also a community member, so I want the economy up and running. Oh, yeah. You know, I want to go back <laughs> to restaurants and I want to do these things. And, and I think mm-hmm. that there are safe ways of doing everything. I think everything in society can happen safely mm-hmm. um, with enough attention to detail. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Um, so in, in terms of the healthcare workers in our area, do you have a sense of, of how they're doing? Are they feeling really overwhelmed or stressed? Do they seem to be managing okay? Well, you know, uh, I'm a, I'm a you know, if you want to call it a frontline worker, I'm a, I'm a healthcare mm-hmm. delivery guy every single day. Yeah. Um, and so I'm, I'm with the doctors, with the nurses, and, and then part of this larger community where we continue to interact and collaborate on the responses. Um, it's morphed. It's changed a lot from when we first got started. The anxieties were extremely high. The attention oh, yeah. to, to PPE or personal protective equipment, the fear of <clears throat> moving about in the hospital and the fear of moving about with your own family when you get home. Mm-hmm. Because healthcare workers, when you're at work, you're at work. But when you go home, you have to yeah. make sure you leave the virus behind. Right. Um, fortunately, both of our hospitals have done a tremendously good mm-hmm. job. Um, with them, we've had very few on wood, figuratively. Um, <laughs> yeah. Very few healthcare workers come down ill with the uh, disease process. Good. Um, which has been great. Um, mm-hmm. Fortunate. You know, we've, we've, we've lost thousands of healthcare workers internationally from the disease. Um, mm. 
there with it. And the more things we understand as we move through is has been a yeah. big benefit. So mm. it's become more commonplace now. People are acclimated to the to the environment. Um, we move about in the hospital differently last week than we did two months ago, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And we understand everyone has a mask. We understand why we have a mask. Right. It's, it's not a topic of conversation any longer, whereas before it, it was. Oh, yeah. So we're becoming more acclimated, more comfortable with the environment itself and kind of the new normal throughout the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still a stress. You know, it's, it's a stress when people go home to their parents mm-hmm. and go home to their kids and... Um, it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a huge psychological burden, <clears throat> uh, you know, moving forward. Right, yeah. right. So, and you were talking before a little bit about the, kind of the age range. Um, do do you know of any cases of children that have come down with COVID nineteen, or are they? Do they seem to be not as susceptible to it, or? Yeah. Kids present a, an interesting challenge. We do have positive kids uh, right now in the community. We have a three-month-old, a six-month, or a six-year-old, a huh. four-year-old, a nine-year-old. I mean, you name it, they're out there. Yeah. We don't test as many kids because kids typically, mm-hmm. uh, when they get exposed to the virus, they get very mild or minimal symptoms. Most of them, not even any symptoms. Oh. Uh, they're getting tested because their mom and dad are infected. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, well, we got to test the kids just to see who's who's got mm-hmm. this. Interesting mm-hmm. caveat about kids is is what's called Miss C. It's a multi-system inflammatory syndrome in children. Oh yeah. So that is a second wave. This is follows four to six weeks after their COVID nineteen exposure and, and illness or no illness. Whenever they contract huh. the virus, they are coming down with a life threatening disease syndrome huh. uh, related back to COVID nineteen. And, and now hmm. New York, who has passed their their some of their peak mm-hmm. uh, cases are now on the climb with pediatric cases with, with Miss C. Huh. Um, the case counts are in the hundreds, um, uh-huh. not in the thousands. And, and, uh, right. Um, yeah. But we've, we've lost huh. kids. We've lost kids. Um, um, a handful of them have died. The recognition hmm. of the disease process is now on the rise. Um, it, is, it is treatable. Yeah. We have a good success rate with treatment, but it has to oh, be recognized good. and has to be treated aggressively. Mm-hmm. And it's a similar to Kawasaki disease. Um, huh. And it's a hyperimmune response. So kids present a challenge, yeah. not so much now, but six weeks from now, I do harbor a lot of concern for the pediatric population mm-hmm. in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as schools kind of look to the fall and trying to get back up and running again, um, are there things that schools need to be thinking about in terms of having kids come back to the buildings again? Yeah, this is this is a topic of daily conversation. <laughs> I uh, bet. Yeah, and the schools are doing a fantastic yeah. job. I've worked for the Beagle County School System, and, and I've been in, in contact with Hendricks County and some folks in Marion County, and, some, and just mm. trying to watch that, those thought processes unfold. And yeah. They're doing a great job being proactive, mm. but... There's mm-hmm. such an unknown about this. This virus is six months old. <clears throat> we've never dealt with this before. Right. And I say it often <clears throat> that you know we're flying the plane as we're building it. So we continue to, to have these building mm-hmm. blocks of knowledge that fall into place. And schools are doing a, a very nice job trying to figure out how can we make X, Y, and Z work. Uh-oh, Z is not going to work. Logistically, <laughs> it just can't work. Yeah. Not every school system is created equal. Some are set up for e-learning. Some are not. Right. Um, some are rural. 
Um, some have a bus that may have 10 kids on it, whereas other ones may have a bus, you know, with 66 kids on it. Um, yeah. And just trying to social distance, trying to maintain some sort of some sense of semi-quarantine mm -hmm. logistically is going to find an impossibility that's out there. Mm -hmm. So then we look at absenteeism. You know, how are you going to respond to kids that are sick? Yeah. And hey, it's cold and flu season. How many nine-year-olds have runny noses and fevers? Mm -hmm. A whole lot. So what do you do with those kids? Mm -hmm. Those questions are being asked. Um, and huh. to be honest, it's it's one of those things I think that's it's going to be an adaptive process every, as we all move forward with it. Right. A lot of questions that I'm certainly not smart enough to try to answer. <laughs> and I don't think collaboratively the pool of people can, can yeah. adequately answer that. Yeah, because if a kid shows up at school, it's like, how do you know if, if this is just a normal cold or if it's coronavirus or something more serious? And, exactly. You know, and then you've got to make some decisions. And <laughs> that's, yeah. uh, imagine that's going to be pretty tough. It will be. Yeah, we can't turn a blind eye and say kids have survived for, you know, thousands of years. You know, they can go in school and they can be sick and they can pass it around. And that's going to help spread the mm -hmm. virus to kids. That's great. As long as those kids never see their grandparents mm -hmm. or their great grandparents or their great aunt. Uh, and that's not real life because we still have birthday parties and we still have right. these things. And grandparents mm -hmm. do a lot of health care or do a lot of daycare for their kids after school. Mm -hmm. So we can't have sick kids going to stay with the 86-year-old great-grandmother um, when they're sick. Yeah. Because if great-grandma hasn't had it mm -hmm. and suddenly gets it, uh, great-grandma's not going to do very well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And as people are trying to <clears throat> stay in business, stay employed, um, survive financially, uh, what are kind of the things people need to do in their work settings um, to uh, continue to protect our public health. Yeah, I think I you know, stated earlier, I, I truly and honestly feel like every part of society can be done in a safe manner. Um, mm -hmm. I think people can go to the bank and go to the movies and, and go out to eat in a safe manner. Everyone can, can do their part to keep themselves mm -hmm. safe and, and everybody else. You know, the concept of universal masking, it, it, uh, I'm a thousand percent supporter. I'm a huge proponent. Mm, uh -huh. um, and that dates back hundreds of years. You know, people wear oh. face coverings uh, in order to, to mm. help. And if you look at the old photographs from the Spanish flu, you know, you see people walking the streets of New York, everyone is masked and everyone is socially distanced. Mm. That is what worked for the original SARS as well. Masking huh. and social distancing. That's how you help mitigate a contagion response. Yeah. Think about coronavirus, <clears throat> it has no vector, meaning mosquito is not going to, you know, bite something and then transfer it to someone else. That is a vector okay. disease, like West Nile virus, for instance. Right. Uh, malaria is a vector disease. Um, mm. anyway, there's, a, there's millions of them that are out there. This is a host-to-host -host transmission. So the human mm -hmm. is the host, another human is the host. The only way to transmit is host-to-host -host contact. So if mm -hmm. you can mask both hosts and separate both hosts, the disease can't hop person-to-person. Mm. So that's the idea of social distancing and masking. Mm -hmm. If we do that throughout all of aspects of society, this thing will burn itself out a whole lot quicker. Okay. Um, if we allow no masking, no social distancing, let's all mesh together and see what happens. We are begging for trouble mm. mm -hmm. because those numbers will dramatically increase. And as your pool, the population increases with infection. Right. Just by simple logic, the older folks are going to get it too. Right. 
because they are not isolated yeah. on islands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And do we know, um, can people pick up the virus from surfaces, countertops, desktops, that kind of thing? Yeah, that, that caught fire uh, early on because we, we figured out it's a respiratory thing. It's a household transmission. We see uh-huh. high percentage of household people, so it must be fomite transmission. The most current knowledge is, yes, that can absolutely most likely happen, mm-hmm. um, but probably not to the degree that we initially thought. Say, well, okay. It's got to be a sneeze or a cough, and it has to be droplet, large droplets right around you. Now we're starting to look at more aerosol mm-hmm. data. Now it's more just close, you know, close casual contact with people. Uh-huh. But the thought processes of, you know, flat horizontal surfaces that are non-porous, can it contain fomites and be put up and transmitted to your mouth are absolutely true as well. So mm. that's why the hand hygiene, that's why the mask and keep your hands away from your face. Okay. Constant cleaning mm. uh, is going to be a big part of it as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, you know, recently it, it seems like people are, kind of getting tired of, of this and, you know, how, how long do people need to be prepared to try to protect themselves? And, you know, as we continue to deal with this, uh, is there any sense of what the time frame is going to look like? I wish, I wish I had a great answer, <laughs> you know, to say, Hey, on yeah. September the 4th, this is all going to be over. Um, right. I think, you know, looking ahead to the second wave, you know, what's going to happen when influenza comes back and this becomes more seasonal. Mm -hmm. Um, The second wave we look at from an epidemiology standpoint, it's going to come. We know that it's going to, because it's not leaving society. We will not have a vaccine in place Uh by the time wintertime gets here, um, unless some sort of miracle happens. So we're going to have respiratory Mm -hmm. virus season. We're going to have influenza season. We're going to have everyone who gets sick from influenza is going to say, is this flu? Am I going to be fine or is this coronavirus? I got right. to go get checked out. Right. Now they come to the hospital to get checked out and suddenly our hospital numbers are back on the rise again. And people get mm. critically ill and, and critically ill and die from influenza every year. Right. 65,000 a year die from that. So those folks wind up on ventilators too. So mm-hmm. now we're going to have people with influenza and respiratory syncytial virus and human mm-hmm. meningococcal virus all competing for ventilators and your COPDs and your pneumonias and the respiratory influenza uh, season that hits us anyway in January and February and beginning in November. So Mm -hmm. those ventilator numbers, those those resources may start to shrink. We Mm -hmm. have a second wave where we're jumping up and down, so we've got to mitigate this response. Mm -hmm. So all that's going to get confusing. Um, Right. When a vaccine becomes available, and that's why a lot of science has shifted toward vaccine, 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 because we have to have that to get herd immunity. Yeah. At this pace, if six to ten percent of the population is immune at this point, that's great. But it's not sixty, and it's certainly not seventy, and certainly not eighty. Mm-hmm. So vaccination is going to be the key through that. Right. And to get to seventy percent with the high degree of anti-vaxxers that are out there as well, already showing, and there's been safety concerns with mm-hmm. the original SARS vaccines from the original SARS of two thousand and three that oh. were about the vaccine itself caused issues in animal models. Thankfully, we didn't need it, and they abandoned all of those trials way back when, but now we need this for for the humankind. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think this is the new norm, to be honest, for the the entirety of this, the rest of this year, this winter, early into next spring, and Mm -hmm. hopefully next spring a vaccine becomes available that has been tested and proven to be efficacious and safe, and that millions of people will have access to it. Mm -hmm. Um, That's when I think our our own enlightenment will come and say, okay, now we're okay. Right. 
Right. So um, as discouraging as this might be for people, um, do you any see any good things that might develop out of this or new things that we're learning or some, some positives that might come? Yeah, I've been, uh, and, and I've shared this with, with several folks that I've talked to, I think when this when this really first latched into our community, the, the, the concern and the collaborative effort that took place from, from public mm-hmm. leaders and healthcare leaders and doctors from the north end of town and the south end of town coming together to rally uh, our healthcare delivery system and the two mm-hmm. hospitals working together. That's been that's been great. Yeah. You know, the sense of volunteerism that struck the community has been fantastic, and the uh-huh. food delivery system has been unbelievable. With with churches and food banks and people coming together to help take care of each other, that's been great. Yeah, um, and it's been wonderful. It's been wonderful too. I've never seen so many people outside mm. walking and enjoying, you know, a healthy oh, yeah. lifestyle. And right. I think it's also given <clears throat> parents an opportunity to reconnect with their kids a little bit. Yeah, you know, which has been good. Definitely, some of the kids may argue that being good, I guess. But, um, <laughs> yeah, you know, but it has, it has. I think it's it's placed an additional importance again on the family unit, which has been great. Mm-hmm. Um, that volunteerism, um, we hope that it, it doesn't fade. Yeah, it's been an important part <clears throat> to help get through the, the part. Yeah, um, lockdown burnout is real. Everybody is pulling oh, yeah. their hair out to try to get outside, <clears throat> and we, and you know, I certainly understand that. I feel that. You know myself mm-hmm. uh, and that's why it is important to be outside and, and sh- you know stretch your legs and spread your wings a little bit and, and get back into society and move around right. and do it safely mm-hmm. um, and that's kind of the message that's continued to be here is yes real life has to happen mm-hmm. we have to get back to work we have to get back to real life but it has to be done smartly yeah. and safely for the right. benefit of everyone good yeah so as we uh, wrap up here, do you have any final thoughts or words that you'd like to leave us with today? Um, I don't really know. Okay. <laughs> and, and, and that kind of yeah. synopsizes my take on this whole thing. Yeah. You know, I, the, the entire process has been such an evolution of oh, yeah. building the knowledge base and trying to offer guidance. And, you know, and, and it all boils down to... Um, you know, almost like sending the kids out the door. Hey, be careful. Just be careful. Mm-hmm. Um, the science behind all this is this has not left the community. It's not left the state of Indiana. Right. It's continuing to fester in nursing homes. It's continuing to rise exponentially across the, the, the country in nursing homes, long-term care facilities. Uh-huh. We're looking at Europe. We're looking at the missteps that they've made, and we're trying to celebrate the, the victories that they've won. They are extremely good about masking and social distancing, mm-hmm. uh, even as they're reopened. And the countries that are the strictest with it have the best success. So mm-hmm. that's the model that we need to be following. So right. people are free to move about in society. Just do so with a mask mm-hmm. on and attention to detail and, and social distancing. Because mm-hmm. uh, it is important. It will be unbelievably important to help mitigate this as we move through the rest of 2020 and into 2021. Right. Good. Well, thank you very much for stopping by today. I appreciate uh, having the conversation. Absolutely a pleasure for me. So there you have it. That was my conversation with Dr. Darren Brecken, the health commissioner for Vigo County. I hope that you enjoyed that conversation. If you know of others that might be interested in this, 
feel free to pass this along to them. If you'd like to become a financial supporter of this podcast, you can head over to the anchor.fm website and you can support it that way as well. Uh, We look forward to seeing you again next week for the next edition of the Pandemic Podcast.